Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, ooh, child. You are listening to Ratchet and Respectable with Demetria L. Lucas. This week, my God, so much tea, so much tea. Obviously, we are going to talk about Duchess Meghan and Prince Harry and their sit down with the Oprah on CBS. We're going to talk about that. It's the third topic. If you want to fast forward, go ahead. But we got some tea to talk about before that. And we got a review of Coming to America. But we're going to get to Harry and Meghan. We just got to talk about some other things first because they were not the only tea that was spilled this week. I watched Coming to America this weekend. Amazon has not released the numbers for how many people watch Coming to America, but they are touting it as the most watched streaming movie in a given weekend during the pandemic. That's the headline according to Deadline. So although they're not giving the numbers of how many millions of people watch, I know I watched, what, four times? I love that film. I absolutely loved it. I saw a lot of people online who did not. Like, people were very riled up about how much they didn't like it and would take personal digs at people who did. It got very nasty online this weekend about people who liked coming to America and people didn't. I never did get to the bottom of what that really was about because I've seen people like films and not like films before, and it's like Billie Holiday. A lot of people like the United States versus Billie Holiday, and a lot of people didn't. But I didn't see people taking personal jabs at each other over it. The people felt very strongly about coming to America. They either hated it and were mad about a sequel or they just loved it. I fall into the category of people that loved it. Like it wasn't a perfect film, but I think the nostalgia got to me. Like I love coming to America. I've watched that film conservatively over the past, like what, like 30 some odd years, a good 30 times. I don't think I need to explain why. I mean, a lot of other people love it too, but it's a fairy tale. With black people. I love it. Amazing characters, iconic lines, iconic characters. Like, I love that film. But I thought Coming to America, the sequel, it was not as good as the first one. But oddly enough, it makes the first one better. Because I watched the sequel twice, and then I went back and watched the original Coming to America. And to see the origin story of Akeem and Lisa... And to know that 30 years later, they're happily married and they have three children. It makes the original even more of a fairy tale. Like, literally, they lived happily ever after. I loved it. I love the cameos. Because, like, half the people that popped up were not advertised. Like, Morgan Freeman popped up. And I was like, oh, shit, that's Morgan Freeman. Salt and Pepper, In Vogue, Gladys Knight. Wesley Snipes, not a cameo. We knew Wesley was going to be in the film. He was hilarious. Wesley Snipes is building his second act as this scene stealer in all his films. Like he stole every scene in Dolomite and he stole every scene in Coming to America. And I was like, honestly, honestly, especially since Coming to America got such great ratings, even if it didn't get great reviews, it got great ratings. And that's what really counts. It made money for Amazon. I would hope that they would do a Coming to America 3. I would love to see that one about Wesley Snipes. And Tayana Taylor, I would love to see what kind of prince Tayana Taylor encounters or what kind of queen that she comes to be. I think that would be a great story. I would also maybe like to see something with like Akeem's daughters. I like the idea of Zamunda having to have a feminist reckoning. It's an African country and some of them can be very traditional in their ideas about women. 
But there are a few African countries with women leaders. We haven't seen that in the United States yet. We've got our Madam Vice President as the VP, but we, we have not had a female president yet. The United States is lagging far behind in that respect. But I would love to see a story about the upcoming Queen of Zamunda. I mean, I don't want to kill off Prince Akeem, but maybe if he just wanted to retire and let his daughter lead. And we could talk about maybe the search for love for a queen. And also the challenging of, of patriarchal traditions in a film. I just love all the characters. When I was in film school, I mean, they teach us 50 million things. But two of them that stood out to me were story, 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 story. Because story is everything in a film. You're telling a story. The story has to be compelling and interesting. And the idea is to tell a great story with compelling characters. But you could have the greatest story on earth. If no one is interested in the characters, it ain't going to sell. The truth is, you can create characters that people like, and people will watch them do almost anything, even if it's banal, just because they like the characters. And I think in some ways that may apply to the sequel to Coming to America, because I don't think you have to be a screenwriter or have gone to film school to note some of the holes in the plot to this story. And again, overall, I think it was a good movie. But that's not to say that it didn't have some, huh, kind of moments in it. One of them being this clunky backstory of how Prince Akeem gets a son. So they have to find a way for him to have this missing male heir in America. And the way they choose to do it without sullying Akeem's character is to make him unaware of the sex he had. And they do that by making Akeem drugged and incapable of consent when he has sex with Leslie Jones. So I watched the movie and was like, yeah, something's not quite sitting right with me about this. And I can't quite put my finger on it. Like the idea that Leslie Jones is not his type. He is not attracted to her but he has sex with her. It's, it took me a minute to put my finger on it. And then I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw on Candace Bimbo's page, Candace was like, are we not going to call this date rape? And I was like, shit, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what's been bothering me about this scene. He's having sex that he doesn't know he's having, that he only vaguely remembers having. He's not able to consent. And that's cringy as fuck. You could tell a bunch of men sat around and wrote this movie. And I read that it took three years to develop this script. And I was like, this is what you went with? The heir to the throne got date raped by a black woman and that's how his child was produced? And they gloss over it in the film. Because, you know, it's a, it's a comedy and that's not really funny. Even though the situation is played for laughs in the film. And I was like, eh, no. There was also that really weird scene with like the funeral where he was like, I'm going to have my funeral while I'm alive. And I was like, huh? And then he dies at the funeral. I was like, why couldn't they have James Earl Jones, the king? Why couldn't he just, you know, die in bed? And they're like, we must have an elaborate funeral for my father because the king is dead. This makes sense to me. And then they could have a celebration of his life. I mean, Aretha had a funeral that was eight hours long. You could do that for the king of Zamunda, no? Vanessa Bell Calloway, who got a really short shift in the sequel, 
She deserved more storyline than I've been hopping on one foot and barking like a dog for the last 30 years. She deserved better than that. I will say this about those scenes, though. Them folks was dressed to the nines. Everyone in that whole damn film. Ruth Carter, she actually outdid herself better than she did in Black Panther. Like, the fabric was released. Oh, Ruth Carter's eye is so beautiful. I feel like what she does, calling it fashion, is almost like diminishing it a little bit. Like, the woman just makes art. I can't even tell you which dress I love the most. There were so many. All the gowns, all the headpieces, the jewelry. Ugh. I feel like they let her be free. Like the art director in Boomerang. You know in Boomerang when Eddie Murphy is lovesick and he just tells the art director, just go do what you want to do. But I feel like that's what Ruth Carter did, except she didn't fuck it up. It's like they released the budget and she released the fabric. And it, oh, it was, it was sumptuous. It was glorious. It was like visual orgasms. It was so amazing. Oh my God. You know how I feel about a budget well spent. Ruth spent all the budget, all the budget beautifully. There were only two people that I missed from the film because I feel like the sequel brought everyone back, even if it was just in a tiny little way. They didn't bring back Eric LaSalle and his soul glow. And I don't know how they would have incorporated him into the script. I mean, he's Lisa's ex-boyfriend, so he doesn't really have a place here. But last we saw of him, Lisa's sister was hooking up with him. And Lisa's sister wasn't in the film either. Now, Akeem's mom wasn't in the film because the actress passed away. But at least there was a mention of her. But there's no mention of Lisa's sister, which I thought was just weird. The father is opening up a McDowell's franchise in Zamunda. Which, like, why that took 30 years is never explained. But okay. But I feel like that's something Lisa's sister could have shown up for. And she could have shown up with Eric LaSalle. And we would just been like, oh, they stayed together. Like, your sister married your ex-boyfriend. Okay. I'm, I'm willing to go with it just to see the characters. But no mention of her or him. So that was something I missed. It didn't ruin the film for me or anything. But I did just wish I could see those two characters. But overall... Even some of the things that I pointed out that like I thought were weird choices or I didn't enjoy, like I love the film. Again, I watched it four times and I'll probably watch it a couple more times because it was a really good film and I really, really enjoyed it. I don't understand the people who were like, I hated it. I'm like, really? How could you? How could you? I don't know. Now, Friday's episode... At the very end, I kept saying, there's something else I'm supposed to be talking about. There's something else. And I could not remember what it was. And I don't know how I forgot. But the Daily Beast did this story on Nicki Minaj and her husband and father of her child, Kenneth Petty. They interviewed the woman that Petty raped. And I don't say alleged because he was convicted of the crime and he served time. And the woman... She goes by Jennifer in the article. She says that Petty and Nikki, too, have been repeatedly harassing her as he's facing federal charges because of the nature of his crime. He has to register as a sex offender in whatever state that he lives in. He did not do that when he moved from California. I believe he was living in New York before the move. But he has a federal charge and a case coming up in June. So I want to talk about that first. And, and again, just for clarity, this is not according to gossip blogs. This is according to a reputable publication, the Daily Beast. They do good journalism over there. 
and they've done good journalism here. Although the story was weirdly constructed, in my notes, I literally had to cut and paste the whole story and reconstruct it into a narrative that made more sense in order to convey exactly what's going on in a cohesive manner. Now, I, I remember when Nikki took up with Petty, his nickname is Izu, as the Daily Beast notes on multiple occasions in the article. And very quickly, people did their research on him and they discovered that he had been arrested and found guilty and jailed for rape. And I remember when Nikki came out and said that, you know, it's not what you think. She said that they were both teenagers at the time and she said the woman was white. And she kind of insinuated that this is one of those cases, one of many, where a black man, a black boy, because they were both teenagers, but a black boy and a white girl were found to be having a sexual relationship and the white woman cries rape in order to avoid consequence for being involved, having sex with a black boy. So this situation was made out to seem as if it was a consensual relationship and the woman cried rape on the back end. Nikki also said that at the time this incident happened, and we're talking about 1995, that the girl, 15, that she was going to recant her statement, but she changed her mind because she found out that she could go to jail for 90 days for making a false accusation. So the Daily Beast caught up with Jennifer and she has a very different version of events. Her version of events is that she was walking to school one morning and Petty came up behind her, pressed an object into her back and instructed her to keep walking. She says he walked her to his house. He forced her upstairs and he began to rape her at knife point before she was able to strike him with a bottle and escape. After the assault, she ran to her school and she reported the incident immediately. She also reported the incident to the police and Petty was arrested. This is according to court documents that the Daily Beast accessed. She says that after Petty was arrested, his parents came to her family and they said that the two of them had been dating and seemingly tried to pass the rape off as a misunderstanding about a consensual sexual relationship. Jennifer is adamant that they were not dating and she did not know him. She said she never submitted a letter recanting the rape, nor did she even think about it. But she says at the time, Petty and his family and his friends harassed her to get her to drop the charges, which she didn't, because he was convicted in 1995 of one count of attempted rape in the first degree, assault in the second degree, unlawful imprisonment in the second degree, and criminal possession of a weapon. So why is this all coming back up years later? Because Jennifer says that she's being harassed by Petty and his friends again, all these years later. So like I said a few minutes ago, Petty was arrested in California for failing to register as a sex offender. The state of California dropped the charges because there are also federal charges that Petty is facing. And again, he's going on trial in June. Many people, including Nicki Minaj, according to Jennifer, have reached out to her asking her to recant her story. And the idea is if she recants her story, he can be cleared 
of the charges from 1995, which would mean that he's not a sex offender, which means that he wouldn't be facing federal charges for not reporting that he's a sex offender when he moved from state to state. Does that make sense? If you get rid of the initial charges, then the current charges don't make sense. Okay. Jennifer said she heard about the charges, but she wasn't really thinking much about it because, again, this is a case from over 20 years ago. But she says a friend of her brother reached out and she said, Nicki Minaj wants to speak to you. Her thought was that Nicki and Petty wanted her to sign an NDA. So saying they wouldn't mention her, she wouldn't mention them. She said that's not where the conversation went when Nicki Minaj called her. She says Nicki called her. She said that she'd heard that Jennifer was willing to help them out. She said that she offered to fly Jennifer to L.A. or she could fly her publicist to Atlanta where Jennifer was living. Jennifer said when she did speak to Nikki that she did tell her, just woman to woman, I want you to know that what I said happened, my version of events that he raped me, that he was convicted for, that he went to jail for, that happened. Like, I didn't make that up. She didn't say anything about Nikki's response. Jennifer says that shortly after that, her brother, she talked to the friend before, this time the brother called, and he said that he got a call and that someone, not necessarily Nikki, not necessarily Petty, just someone, was offering $500,000 if Jennifer would speak to a lawyer who's representing Petty. And Jennifer understood that conversation to mean that this was someone willing to pay her to change her story. She says that she never did call that lawyer, though. She said she also got another call from Barry, but she said unlike her brother who called because that was family, she said she got nervous because this man knew where she lived. She said the man came to her house. She said she met him and sat outside in the car with him and he offered her $20,000 in cash if she agreed to sign a letter he typed out that stated she lied about her assault. Jennifer did not sign the letter. Jennifer said she'd worried that someone would come after her, particularly Barry. And if you're curious about why this random man, Barry, would get himself involved with this situation, <laughs> the Daily Beast, they said Barry's daughter had a party coming up. I don't know if it was a sweet 16 in my head. That's what I translated it as. But Barry's daughter had a party coming up and he wanted Nicki Minaj to perform at the party. Jennifer also says one day she got a call from her brother asking if she was okay. She said her brother sounded terrified and he says, you know, they know where you live. And he said, Petty has some OGs from the neighborhood working for him. He said, don't be surprised if they're sitting on your couch. So Jennifer said she moved from where she was living and she changed her phone number out of fear for her safety. That was in June. She says in August she moved again after lawyers for Petty called a phone number that she'd registered under an assumed name. She moved again in October after a man approached her 22-year-old daughter in a club and started asking questions. This is crazy. She says she also got a call from U.S. Marshals who recently told her that an investigation of the Petties is underway and that they found evidence. Jennifer said she's coming forward now because, quote, I'm hoping for the truth to come out and whatever comes from that truth to let it be. She said for a while she tried to avoid implicating other people, but after everything that has happened 
It's like these people were willing to sacrifice me so this guy could remain in the public eye. Are you okay, sis? Because this is crazy. Like, this is a lot. I mean, I know Nikki is married to the man. She has a child with this man. I know you want your husband to be free and not locked up on federal charges. But this is a lot. Like, this woman is being stalked. People are reaching out to her family members. Strange men are approaching her daughter in the club. Like, is she being followed? Is this woman okay? This, con- this is concerning. But I don't see a lot of people talking about that. We got to talk about that Oprah interview with Meghan and Harry. That was... Woo! You know how sometimes people talk about tea and I'm like, yeah, triple pour, tepid, not strong, weak tea. This was not that. Megan and Harry came to speak with Oprah and they released much tea. First pour, two bags, no sugar, potent tea. Some issue to keep you up at night. They came to talk about their lives as royals. Me, you, and 17 million other people watched that Oprah interview. It is the most watched TV event outside of sports in the last year. So Oprah got her numbers. Oprah also got a payday. CBS reportedly paid between six and seven million for the interview. Megan and Harry were not paid for it. And just a word, when I say T, when I'm speaking about this Megan Harry interview, I'm specifically not speaking about Megan's admissions about her mental health. Compromised mental health, depression, suicidal ideations, things of that nature are very, very serious and I don't take them lightly. So I just want to be very clear that I'm not making light of Megan's mental health. I take mental health very, very seriously and I'm glad our good sis, cousin Megan, I'm glad that she and her husband and her baby got the fuck out because what she described is nuts. And honestly, I could have done a whole episode on on this interview, I feel like the whole internet is discussing it. So I don't want to repeat the most popular discussions, but I do want to talk about like a bunch of shit. So I'm not going to cover everything. I'm just going to cover the stuff that like super stood out to me in the interview. One of them was Oprah's wig. I think Oprah is a beautiful woman. I think she has a beautiful head of hair. Like we've seen that ponytail swish around. Nobody except that girl on The Bachelor, whips a ponytail like Oprah Winfrey. She looks beautiful every month on the cover of her magazine. All sorts of different hair, all sorts of different styles. And I was like, whoever was doing that hair? Was that Andre? I don't know who that was. Call that person because the the person that did the wig for, for the Meghan Harry interview, and I know that that's not what I was supposed to be focused on, but TV is a visual medium. I love my Oprah. That was not her best wiggery. Like, you knew this was going to be a bombshell interview. You knew everyone and their mother was going to watch it. You've been in TV for 40 years. You know when you've got a hit on your hands. I want you to have your best hair for these moments. I didn't feel that that was Oprah looking at her best. But it was Oprah working at her best. Like many people pointed out, other other journalists, they were like, this was a master class in how to do an interview. As a journalist... I was giddy watching her go. Megan, she said a lot of things that actually really surprised me. 
and not even like the big stuff that everyone's been talking about, like the color of the baby. We'll talk about that in a second. But Oprah asked her, did she said, well, you know, you start dating Harry and you know, he's a royal. And she said, well, what research did you do? And Megan said, I didn't do any. Huh? Huh? I, I had no idea what I was getting into. Like I, I didn't do any research. And she's like, yeah, I was friends with um, Eugenia. I don't even know where she ranks in the royal protocol. I just know she's like, you know, somewhere up in there high. She was like, no, I, I didn't do any research. I'm like, you didn't ask your homegirl? Like, that was your friend. You didn't ask her? And she was like, I just figured that, you know, they would tell me everything that I needed to know. Like, you know, okay, I'm going to be a royal. Everything that, that I thought I wanted to know, I asked Harry about. And he told me. And so I didn't think I needed to know anything else. And I figured, like, you know, once I'm married in, like, they'll tell me all the things that I need. And, and I was fine with that. And I was like, girl, what? And in no way do I say this to blame the victim because... Megan is responsible for what Megan does and the, the terrible things that happen to her. The people who did them are responsible for them. I just want to be very clear about that. But I was like, girl, I don't go on a date with anybody without doing a thorough Google search. At the very least, I'm going to find your Instagram and your Facebook and I'm going to go all up through that ish. I don't care how many pictures you posted. I'm scrolling back all the way to the beginning. I want to know as much as I can. I'm going to go on your Facebook page. If your mama and your uncle, your sister, your kids, somebody's commenting, I'm clicking on them too. It's not snooping. I'm not digging through your phone. I'm not digging through your shit. But like, I already been out here looking crazy once, marrying the wrong mofo. I can't do that shit twice. You divorced too, sis. You know what this is. Like things don't work out a first time. People say, well, oh, well, these things happen. You marry a second time and that shit don't work. People going to be like, well, you know, the common denominator is you. I'm not trying to live that life. I ain't trying to get divorced again. I'm not trying to be in another bad relationship ever. I do thorough investigations. And it's not just me. Kamala Harris did that interview. And they said, Kamala, did you Google Mr. Doug? She said, I did. She laughed when she said it like it was a ha ha. It wasn't funny. Somebody told her, you should meet this man. He's so nice. She needed to know who that man was. She's the attorney general of California. She can't be running around with some derelict mofo. She got to know who this man is before she's seen in public with him. You need to do no research, sis? None? That's a lot of faith. You know, all her friends keep talking about, she's such a good person. She's so optimistic. She's so sweet. She's so, she's just, she has such a good heart. She does. To have enough faith in folks not to search? Girl, I don't have that much faith. My heart ain't that good. My heart has been trampled on. We're not doing that again. We got to research. We got to know what we're getting involved with, what we're walking into. You can't be gambling with emotions and marriages. Married for love the first time. Got caught up. Love is nice. It is. It's a beautiful thing. It's not enough. I said that before I got married. On national TV, no less. And still got caught up in dumb shit. But we all make mistakes. There is grace for those that seek it. Amen. We do need to talk about that conversation about the baby's color. We being PC today, we keep it in 100. Because if we're going to be PC, we're going to be like, oh my gosh. They were concerned about the baby's color. Oh, how could they? Me, you, your mama, and everybody else was thinking about that baby's color. I very, very, very much so wanted Archie to reach back in the genetic pool as black skin is known to do. I wanted him to go find his grandmother's melanin and I wanted him to emerge as a brown baby.
I wanted to look at his ears and his fingertips. I wanted to take a peek at his nose to see how much color would emerge on baby Archie and see if we could have a little brown boy with some of Harry's red hair. I'm positive I said that on here. I'm saying it again so y'all won't come back and be like, you're a hypocrite. Nope. I'm shallow. I'm politically incorrect. You thought about that baby's color too. You gonna lie to me today and say you didn't, you did? No, I wasn't mad when we saw Archie and he was very light. His mother is very light. His father is white. That was the likelihood of what could happen. He does have some red hair, which is beautiful. But I did want to see a brown baby in the monarchy. Just to fuck shit up. Just to mix it up. Add some color to the situation. Brown is beautiful. Let's see some more of it. But I would never say that to like, you know, the parents of a child. That's wild. Members of the monarchy. Members of Harry's family. Because it wasn't just some randoms. Members of Harry's family. Prominent members, it seems, of Harry's family. Because Harry declined to name who it was when Oprah asked point blank. She asked that question three different ways and he wouldn't answer it. He did clarify to Oprah, as she explained, that either during the interview or after, Harry said if she got a chance to address it, it wasn't his grandmother, the queen, or his grandfather, Prince Philip, who'd asked the question about the baby's color. And I was like, I'm glad you cleared that up because my money was on Prince Philip. If you watch The Crown, that man has no class and no cut cards. He's known for it. That's not just a characterization on TV. Because watching The Crown, I was like, they got Philip out here looking crazy. And I went and looked up some of Philip's finer quotes. You should do the same. Philip said some wild shit on the record, quoted. Philip has no cut cards. I was like, oh, I'm glad he cleared that up. So now my money is on his brother or his father, who he's not speaking to. We'll get to that, though. We'll get to that. But a lot of people wondered about the baby's color. Some of them were hoping for brownness because they like brown. Other people feared the brown because they don't like brown. But a lot of people have talked about Oprah's audacity because Megan said that, you know, people were worried about what his complexion would look like. And Oprah said, what? Oprah looked shocked. I don't think the shock was that people wondered about it. I think the shock was that somebody actually had the goddamn audacity to say it to one of the parents of the children. Somebody said it to Harry and Harry came back and told Megan that was some shocking shit. And I was like, you said that to Harry? Because Harry strikes me as a type of man that has Cuomo tendencies. Chris Cuomo, not Andrew. We've been talking about Andrew a lot. We're talking about Chris today. Remember when somebody called Chris Fredo? And Chris had to be restrained, I think, from punching somebody in the face for using a slur against Italians. I feel like Harry has that energy. I'm surprised somebody said that to Harry and didn't get punched in the face. Or maybe we just didn't hear that part of the story. That's some wild shit to say to the father of an interracial child. That's not big dick energy. That's just just bold. But some of Megan's other revelations that a lot of people aren't talking about, stuff that I gave the Oprah what face to, At one point, Megan just casually mentioned, she was like, yeah, I'd been inside the palace for four months and I'd only left twice. This was before COVID. They left the palace before COVID. What you mean you've been at home for four months and you only left twice? Why you couldn't leave the house, sis? And then she said, you know, I asked if I could go out. You a grown ass woman. What you mean you asked if you you could go out? You weren't allowed to just leave at your leisure? Like, hey, y'all, I'm going to XYZ. Gather the security. This is where we're headed. But I was like, you a whole grown woman who ain't left the house but twice in four months 
And when she said she wanted to go to lunch with her girlfriends, they told her no. She also said they took her passport and her driver's license, which I was like, girl, you couldn't have left the country if you wanted to? What? Megan talked about her mental health and how she'd gone to senior members of the family and about her mental health problems, and she was rebuffed. And then she says, oddly, she says, yeah, I went to like the palace HR and I was like, there's human resources at the palace. This is a family institution. Like you went to your family and your family rebuffed you. Then you went to HR and then HR rebuffed you too. Huh? And she was like, yeah, like I went to them and was like, I I need help. Like I, I'm not, I'm suffering. Like I need to check myself into a mental facility. And they were concerned about the optics. You're concerned about the optics of a woman checking herself into a mental health facility. But you're not concerned about the optics of the Duchess killing herself? That's a nightmare. But y'all rather chance that? Someone comes to you and says, I need help. I am having suicidal ideations. I am not okay. And you tell them essentially... Eh, you'll be all right. It's a death sentence. Speaking of death sentences, they essentially were putting one on Meghan's child. Through the history of the monarchy, you are a child born to a royal, especially the direct bloodline. Meghan's child, Archie, he's the great-grandson of the reigning queen. When the queen, she's in her mid-90s, she's not going to live forever, At some point, she will pass away. And either Archie's grandfather or Archie's uncle, actually both, will become king. Unless they abolish the monarchy before that. Your great-grandmother is queen. Your grandfather and your uncle will likely be king. And your father is one of the most recognizable faces in the world. You don't want to give this baby... Security? Fuck a title. It's, it's wrong not to give the first child with obvious black blood the title. Call that the racism that it is. But you don't want to give this child security? How is he supposed to survive? You setting up that kid to get kidnapped and held for ransom. Like that Getty kid. Did you ever see that movie on FX? About the, I guess it was the grandson of the really rich Getty. They kidnapped him and held him for ransom and his grandfather wouldn't pay it even after they cut off the kid's ear. It was bad. It got so bad the people that were holding him hostage were like, yo, your family sucks. Like, I'm really sorry about how you were raised. They were just going to leave Archie out there. You know what also I thought was really weird? There were people who watched this entire interview and we about to talk about Harry's portion too because that was bombshell after bombshell. Every time he opened his mouth, a bomb went off. I was like, oh my God, does Harry know what he's saying? Because like he's grown up in this shit. So he might not know that some of his crazy is completely crazy. But I was like, sir, there were people who watched this entire interview and was like, oh, they left because of the press. She should have known how bad it was going to be. Like they're still talking about like the press aspect of it. And like the press, yes, was one aspect of Megan's issue. But the core issue was the family. There's all this negative press about you and they're not stopping it. And in fact, they're fueling it. 
Like she talks about this feud that she had with Kate and she was like, there was this really big press story about how Megan made Kate cry and the issue was over dresses for the flower girls? Bridesmaids dresses? Something that in the throes of planning a wedding is a really big deal and as soon as the wedding's over, no one really gives a shit. Megan was like, yeah, so in fact, this this disagreement, Kate was the one that said something crazy to me, but she did come back and she spoke with me about it. She apologized for it. She sent me flowers. Like, it's good. There's no beef. Like, it's fine. But the issue genuinely was over these dresses. So whoever went and spoke to the press, it's not like they're making the shit up. It's somebody with all access who's going to the press and telling them these stories and the palace is not defending her. And it's not just one story. It's hundreds of stories. Like Megan said, she was like, I, I've been in the house for four months. I've been out twice in four months. And still it's story after story after story after story about me. It's coming from inside the house. Like these people that I call family, these people that are supposed to be here to protect me and help me are betraying me. It's not just the press is saying these things. It's I can't trust anyone in the place where I live. That's that's crazy. It's not the press. It's the family. So Harry comes out. The first hour of the interview is just Megan and Oprah. And then Harry comes out. And I think the first thing Oprah asked, I think at this point in the interview, I'd stop taking notes because I was just glued to the screen. Like, I, like, what? 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 So there was much to do at the time that Harry and Meghan announced that they were leaving, not the royal family, they were leaving the UK. And he was like, no, there was no blindsiding. He was like, this conversation had been going on for months. Like she was well aware that we weren't happy. She was well aware of what we were thinking. We tried multiple other means to resolve this issue. Nothing was working. And we decided that for our safety and our sanity, we had to go. So she was, so the queen was not blindsided. But they leave and they're staying in Canada. They're living in a friend's house. The monarchy, the institution calls and says, yeah, so since you're not senior members of the royal family anymore, including you, Harry, who is one of the most recognizable faces in the world, who is the grandson of the queen, who will be, who will, who will be the son of the next king and the brother of the king after that, yeah, we're not giving you uh, security, which is crazy. Like, y'all didn't give security to Diana when she left, and you see how that shit ended. You want to try that with her son? I mean, one, it's just cruel and evil because you're going to leave your family out there unprotected like that? Who does that? There have been lots of think pieces written today. But some things that I saw were about how Harry thought that his privilege and his whiteness and also to his popularity would protect him. Like Harry has long been one of the most beloved members of the royal family. Like people loved his mother. His mother died in that horrible accident in Paris. She went from just being beloved to being a martyr. People love her 10 times as much since her passing. There has always been a soft spot in folks' hearts for Harry, who was a cutie pie little boy full of personality and that gorgeous red hair. He's always been the rebellious one in the family. It doesn't hurt that he's very attractive. It's worth noting 
that although he's a grown ass man in many people's imaginations, grown, grown people in their imaginations, Harry will always be the, the lost little boy walking behind his mother's casket. Everyone's always had a soft spot for Harry. Harry's ass was in a damn Nazi uniform when he was in college and black folks still like Harry. I know the Nazis are best known for hating the Jews, but they didn't like black folks any more than that. They just happened not to be exterminating us only because they didn't have access to enough. If they could have, they would have. And black folks still like Harry. Harry had a poster of Halle Berry on his wall and appears to have some black friends and has some rhythm when he dances the reggae. Harry, for all his life, has seemed not to be with the shits. So people have a soft spot for Harry. Harry. Y'all were going to take his security away? Again, the death sentence. You know, like he knows, that everyone knows where he lives. Because the Daily Mail plastered it all over the newspapers and all over the internet. I knew where Harry lived. Because I read the Daily Mail. It was everywhere. And then y'all decided to publicly announce that he didn't have security. You were setting him up to get pop smoked. And I don't say that in any jest because that young child, he's 20 years old, that young child's murder is a tragedy. He was murdered over some dumb shit because of some dumb shit. Posted a picture, not even thinking, with the house number in the background. He was murdered, what, 48 hours later? You think that wouldn't happen to Harry? Harry got way more money than Pop Smoke did. I can't believe they did that shit. I guess Harry thought, like, I'm beloved, I'm a prince, you would never. But they did. Never underestimate what white folks will do to preserve whiteness. They was willing to sacrifice Harry for that shit. And shout out to Tyler Perry, who came to the rescue. Tyler Perry, look, I had to stop talking greasy about Tyler Perry when I started putting two and two together about the ways that he looks out for black women. Whitney Houston didn't have a lot of money when she passed away. Somebody had to get the body back to Jersey. Tyler Perry sent a jet to get Whitney's body home for her funeral. Y'all remember that? Aretha Franklin, when she passed, they had an eight-hour service in Detroit. Many people left around the fifth, sixth hour, and I don't fault them. I know it's Aretha Franklin, but sitting up in any one place for five, six, eight hours, that's a lot of sitting. That's a lot of goodbye. Some folks rolled out. At the end of that funeral, those pews were looking mighty empty, but Tyler Perry was still sitting up there. He sat all eight hours of Aretha Franklin's funeral. And that's when I started looking at Tyler Perry different. It's a certain type of respect that you have for the person you're honoring to sit there for eight hours. I wouldn't sit eight hours at a funeral for nobody but my mama. I love you, daddy. I love you, daddy. I'm not sitting there for eight hours to say goodbye. I'm not doing it. I come to your gravesite. I'll visit you. I make sure you have some fresh flowers. I'm not going to leave you out there. But I'm not sitting through an eight-hour funeral, Daddy. I'm sorry. Mommy carried me for nine months. That's, that's a, a slightly different scenario. I love you equally, but I ain't sitting through nobody's funeral for eight hours except my mom. I'm, that's it. If I had a child, obviously, I don't. So that's it. Just my mom. Cicely Tyson, in her book, she talked about Tyler Perry, too. She said she would do these contracts with Tyler Perry. Sometimes he'd pay her three times, five times the amount that was in the contract on GP. You didn't get paid enough for Miss Jane Pittman. I'm going to pay you for what you should have been paid all these years. He made sure Cicely Tyson was good. I was like, yo, Tyler Perry looks out for black women. Taraji P. Henson, she said the same thing. She was a whole Oscar nominee still getting paid pennies on the dollar. I think she said she never got paid more than $100,000 a roll until she started working with Tyler Perry. And I was like, seriously? 
V Taraji is sitting on sets, is opening films, and wasn't getting more than 100000 That's nuts. I knew Meghan and Harry were staying at Tyler Perry's house. house. I knew they abruptly left Canada. I didn't understand why until Harry explained it, that everybody knew where I lived. And it was publicly, internationally announced that I had no security. And like me and my family weren't safe there. So we had to leave. I also didn't know that Tyler Perry was paying for their security. Like not only did I open my house to you to make sure y'all good. I'm also going to pay for security to make sure nothing happens to you. I will never have another bad word to say about Tyler Perry. As a person, as a man, you do the good work. That's all I got to say about Tyler Perry. Um, Harry also casually mentioned, you know, I used to talk to my dad about it when he was taking my calls. Excuse me? Wait, 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 wait. In the middle of all this crazy shit, your father, because you only got one parent, your one living parent stopped taking your calls? Charles has lived through this. Because he watched it happen to Diana. He didn't give a fuck about his ex-wife. The Crown didn't give a fuck about his ex-wife. And she ended up being killed in a tunnel in Paris being chased by the media with no damn security. Your son is now reliving this exact experience with all of the triggers for his trauma that come along with that of seeing his wife unsupported by the family in the same way that his mother was. And you stopped taking his calls? Like, I know you're mad at him. I know he's not doing what you want him to do. I know he's not falling in line. Do you have to be a psychologist to make any sort of connection that maybe Harry is scared and maybe Harry is flipping out because what's happening to his wife is what happened to his mother and he sees history repeating itself and is like having a full fucking meltdown? Maybe if everybody in the goddamn monarchy was getting some mental help, you ain't got to leave to get at you the goddamn crown. You had surgeons come into the palace and set up an operating room to work on Queen Elizabeth's father because y'all didn't want him going out to a hospital. Y'all couldn't have some mental health people come inside the palace and work with y'all because y'all got problems. I done watched four seasons of The Crown. The dialogue may not be accurate, but it's all based on true story. All the highlights, all the lowlights, Widely reported in reputable publications. Y'all got problems. Y'all gonna stay having problems until y'all get some mental health help. You, just, you can't just throw family members away. You've done it a million times, generation after generation. It's what you do. You could have preserved the crown and not treated Harry and Meghan like shit. You killed the boy's mom. You cannot treat him like shit. You owe him that. Jesus. Harry said he's also beefing with his brother. That relationship is strained. He wouldn't say why. They actually, for all the things that they said, they wouldn't say a lot. They had so much deference to the queen. Megan made a point of saying, like, these crazy things happen, but the queen, like, she was, she was always delightful to me. Like, she never, she was never bad. She was never rude. She was, she was good. And then Harry made a point of saying that, you know, I didn't blindside my grandmother. I have too much respect for her. He, he speaks to her on a regular basis. They're doing Zoom. Like, they made this really big point of, of, of showing deference to the queen. And, and I do understand, like, she is, she is the queen in title, but she's also grandma. She's the matriarch of their family. So, like, I get that. But I was like, 
do you also realize that like all the crazy shit that you're describing, she could have stopped. I'm at my wit's end. I need mental health. I need to go out. I need to be somewhere or, or bring somebody to me, but do something. Help me. She didn't intervene. I've been in this palace for four months. I've only left twice. I need to get out of here. I need to go see my friends. I need an outlet. She didn't intervene. They're taking away my son's title and they're taking away his security. Like my son will not be safe. What do I do? She didn't intervene. Harry, they're taking away my security. My location is internationally known and they're about to publicly announce that I don't have security. I and my family will not be safe. Help me. Do something. She didn't intervene. If the crown has any truth, and again, a lot of that stuff is documented, that woman is evil, especially to family. All this deference for her, she's not helping you. She's part of the problem. And, and I understand, like, to get on TV and air out your grandmother, like, it's one thing to air out your dad. It's one thing to air out your brother. Airing out your mom and airing out your grandma. You taking things way, way, way far. I understand why they wouldn't. Like, I hope y'all know she's part of the problem. I also thought about in watching them say just enough, but also holding back. There's, they got a bullet or two left in that chamber. Like they fired some shots. Absolutely. But they didn't let loose on everything. I feel like this interview was a series of warning shots. Like, we just firing in the air. We letting you know we got ammo in this bitch. This gun works. If you got some more to say, you want to keep coming for us, we're going to stop shooting in the air. We're going to point this bitch. Some folks might get hit if there's a next time. I read uh, in Vanity Fair that Prince Charles is, in quote, a state of despair over this Oprah interview. A state of despair. Which I was like, shit, I would be too. My son got on international television and told people we don't speak that I stopped taking his calls as his only living parent in the middle of a traumatic episode, which was probably triggering the feelings of his mother's death. Sir, you look a hot ass mess. The whole royal family does. I was like, this is fresh off the heels of the fourth season of The Crown when it showed how bad they did Diana. And now you out here doing the same shit to Diana's son? Ooh. That's beyond a PR problem. That's more than calling good Judy. Judy. What's Judy's last name? Can't, you know I'm terrible with names. Judy, who the Olivia Pope character was based on. The crisis manager in real life. Can Judy handle this? I mean, Judy can do all. Judy would up her fee for this shit. This is too much. I will tell you this. I cried during the interview. And you know, I cry. I'm a cancer. Like we do that. But when Harry talked about they took his security and they took his money and he said, the only reason I was able to leave. Oh, my God, I'm getting choked up just saying it. He said, the only reason I was able to leave because of the money that my mom left me. Diane has been dead almost 25 years. He has about 40 million dollars of his mom's money. And that's what he took. To leave the UK. To get him and them the fuck out of there. And get some security. When his family turned their backs on him. His mom has been dead almost 25 years. And she's still looking out after her baby. Oh my God, that hurt my heart so bad. Diana's death was a tragedy. She died too soon. She had the foresight 
to make sure her baby was okay. Oh, that's too much. That's too much. There were many celebrity responses to the interview. I saw Gabrielle Union weighed in. She's a friend of Megan. I saw the White House press secretary. She weighed in to talk about mental health. I saw Hillary Clinton. She released a statement. Lots of statements. But I do want to read you this one from Serena Williams that I thought was very beautiful and apropos and sums up this whole tragedy very well. The Serena, she said of Meghan Markle, my selfless friend lives her life and leads by example with empathy and compassion. She teaches me every day what it means to be truly noble. Her words illustrate the pain and cruelty she's experienced. I know firsthand the sexism and racism institutions and the media use to vilify women and people of color to minimize us, to break us down and demonize us. We must recognize our obligation to decry malicious, unfounded gossip and tabloid journalism. The mental health consequences of systemic oppression and victimization are devastating, isolating, and too often lethal. I said it earlier and I'll say it again. I'm glad Megan got the fuck out. That's all for this episode. I had an interview earlier today with one of my favorite people. I'm going to save her interview for Friday's episode because this one was a lot and it's heavy and it's long. Thank you, as always, for listening to Ratchet and Respectable. There's a little bit of Ratchet and Respectable merch on the website. Right now, it's more Don't Waste Your Pretty than Ratchet and Respectable. If you haven't picked up merch for either, there is still some of each available on the website. Demetria L. Lucas. For Don't Waste Your Pretty, there are hoodies, especially in extra larges to 4Xs. I made sure to take care of my plush madams with the Don't Waste Your Pretty merch. So if you haven't picked up yours yet, please head to the website and get it while it is still available. You know the merch goes fast and it takes a while to restock. So pick up your merch while it's still in stock. If you'd like some ratchet and respectable in your life between now and Friday's episode, give me a follow on social media at Demetria L. Lucas. Oh, and if you haven't had a chance to watch Don't Waste Your Pretty, it is now streaming on the TV One app. So you can watch it at your leisure if you missed the premiere or any of the subsequent airings. So I think that is everything, at least for today. And we'll talk again on Friday. Talk soon. Okay, bye.